One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host. Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. So today I have the pleasure and privilege of sharing with you this conversation that I had with Sharu Izadi, who is someone that was on my podcast about a year and a half ago and following that podcast we struck up a beautiful friendship and now we're really quite good friends so we recorded this unfortunately not in person it was recorded on lockdown so we are recording it online she is the author of the kindness method her latest book is called the last diet and she shares with us an amazing technique for shifting your attention from what your body looks like to what it allows you to do we talk about the links between anxiety and how we eat. And Sharu shares about how she handles anxiety and how she takes care of her own mental health. And we get into this topic, which I quite often ask people, you know, why? Why is it that we find it so hard to be kind to ourselves? And Sharu is literally the queen of kindness. And she shares basically why this is and how we can all remember to do it more. So if you want to get some freebies from me, I would love to send you some hypnotherapy recordings and affirmations and things that can help you on your path to becoming your best self. And so you can head over to karmayou.com forward slash free and enter your details there and I'll send you those freebies right away. And you can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions of hypnotherapy and coaching. I do see a select number of clients one-on-one on Zoom and you can find out all about that and you can book a call with me to see if it's a good fit for you at karmayou.com. So let's get into the interview with the wonderful Sharu Izadi. Welcome Sharu. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks, Chloe. I'm doing very well, thank you. Not bad at all. Good stuff. Um, so you are one of the only guests to be on this podcast twice. And mm-hmm. so I'm very excited to talk to you. I know we first spoke, was it a couple of years ago when we first spoke? That was the first time we'd ever interacted was on the podcast. Was it like yeah. two years ago? Yeah, we met through the screen, Chloe. And then we met in real life. We were sat next to each other at a, a dinner thing and the rest is history. Now we're friends IRL. IRL, that's true. <laughs> can, you, can you tell everyone who maybe doesn't know you and your story what it is that you do and how, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of 
course. Um, I'm a behavioral change specialist, so I help people to change their habits, unwanted habits, and help them gain insight into why they're finding it hard to change habits. And I write books, uh, self-help books that hand over tools so that people can change their own habits without needing to talk to people like me. Um, and it all came about because I worked in addiction before this and I learned so much about motivation and self-awareness and resilience and self-compassion and all the sorts of themes that I think help people enormously when it comes to changing habits and making those changes last. So now what I do really is adapt and strip down those, um, the tools and approaches that are helping addicts to, to stay in long, in long term recovery. And I find ways for people are ways I find ways for people to integrate those approaches into their daily lives so that they can better manage their own habits. Sounds good. Sounds very good. And just for people that don't know, your books are called The Kindness Method and mm-hmm. The Last Diet is your latest book, which came out a few months ago. It did, yeah. It came out on Boxing Day 2019. And so what has what has changed since we last spoke? Things have, have probably changed quite a bit for you since your first book came out. Is that right? Professionally, yeah, they have they have changed a lot for me. Um, when my first book came out, I was sort of wondering what I even did, to be perfectly honest with you. And I had a private practice um, where I was seeing clients, um, but I was kind of learning what I was doing and what I was offering to people based on what was coming back, the feedback that was coming back from the book and what people found useful and interesting and now I just feel like I've I've honed that a lot like even that first question you asked me about what I did that took half the time it would have taken me in our first interview Mm. you know so I think I've kind of I guess I found my feet in my new job essentially and um I found what I do and yeah of course a lot has changed in terms of like the press and the first book came out all around the world so that's very exciting um, actually, the second book's just just come out in the States too. So yeah, totally different landscape of professional life, I'd say. So amazing. And The Kindness Method is deliciously Ella's favourite book, I hear. Is that one true? Of them. One of yes. them. <laughs> Thank you for dropping that in. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> it, it did so well. And I think it resonated with so many people. I think because not being kind to ourselves is is so prevalent and it's almost... I don't know. It's, it's very hard to find someone who is genuinely kind to themselves, you know, most of the time. I think all of us have this tendency to beat ourselves up or, you know, be overly self-critical. Do you know why we are so hard on ourselves? I know this is kind of a big question, but I wondered what your take on it was. Well, I know, you know, from work on anxiety, etc, that we are more highly attuned to our deficits and the things we should be protecting ourselves from and our threats, etc, of course. But I think when it comes to my work in particular, it comes down to the definition of kindness a lot of the time. So what I often tell people is if you're trying to define self-kindness, define it as doing for yourself and making the same decisions for yourself that you would make for a loved one. And a lot of the time, that doesn't mean making the easy decision. It doesn't mean making the decision that gives you a short-term fix. It, make, it's, it becomes making the more difficult decision that has your long-term goals in mind, um, as opposed to your short-term relief. It involves taking the same sort of common sense, sensible advice that you would give someone else. It involves not treating a blip as a catastrophe. So in the context of habit change, it's understandable that people would find it hard to change their habits because frankly... Self-kindness is the harder choice sometimes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I found talking to people, it's almost something that we need constant reminders about. It doesn't matter almost whether you, you know, 
I'm talking about myself personally, I tell people to be kind to themselves a lot and I still need to remind myself as well. It's something that I, I tend to keep coming back to. It's not necessarily that we just think it once and it's, it sticks, but we need to keep reinforcing it, I think. How do you remember to be kind to yourself? In the way that I speak to myself more than anything, if I notice that I'm experiencing some emotional discomfort, even if it's just procrastinating or boredom or whatever else, I try and notice that and practice speaking to myself the way I would speak to a loved one. And usually that's in a really encouraging way. And usually that, that means that I uncover the kind of advice that helps make that process easier for myself. Um, and so I find actually discomfort is one thing that really turns up the volume on the way that I'm speaking to myself and I can get some insight into whether it's helpful or not. And where possible, I try to give myself the same messages that I want other, others to give me. I think a lot of the time when I, when I ask myself, like if I'm impulsively trying to call a friend for some relief and say, for example, they can't answer. I often ask myself now, what are you hoping to hear? when you call them like what are you hoping they're going to say to you and usually the messages are things like this isn't that big a deal this is okay you're going to be okay don't beat yourself up about it you know mm. and sometimes for me it's been a real lesson when I am in discomfort to notice an opportunity to speak more kindly to, to myself and the more it works and the better it makes me feel invariably the more buy-in it's got for me <laughs> mm, yeah and when you talk about discomfort can you describe how that what do you mean by that? Are you talking about a specific kind of feeling or? Yeah, any kind of state you're trying to change. Mm. So at the moment, I'd say, you know, a lot of us are feeling bored, stressed, anxious, worried. Um, anything that you're trying to um, do that's challenging or difficult. Anything where there's a bit of difficulty going on, essentially, I think is a good opportunity to listen in on the way you're speaking to yourself and look at how you might be able to debate with it and make what you're hearing more useful and kind yeah I think that's the, the classic thing of and I don't know if this is the same in addictions or if this is just the same for everyone but feeling uncomfortable trying to find a way to make yourself feel better the thing that makes you feel better might not be the healthiest choice but it but it maybe distracts you for that time or gives you a bit of a boost and then and then the next time you feel uncomfortable you don't want to feel that feeling but actually in those moments of discomfort you know, should we just be kinder to ourselves in those moments? And as you said, thinking about what a friend might say to us to support us or encourage us in that moment. Yeah, and just being curious about it as opposed to beating yourself up about it. Because a lot of the time people come to me in my work, especially when it comes to things like comfort eating, and they say, why would I continue to do something that doesn't even make me feel better? I say I do it to make me feel better, but I don't even feel better, not even while I'm doing it sometimes. And very often, I think if we replace the word better with different, it can help us to gain a little bit more insight into the state that we're trying to change by engaging in this now unwanted behavior. You know, when you look at, I know you and I have definitely discussed this in the past, where the unwanted habit, you've, it, it needs to be framed then as, as a solution, not a problem. And when you understand that it's solving a problem in itself, you can start to have more compassion for yourself and try to gain a little bit more insight into why you're finding it so difficult to, to change. Mm, okay, so for example, feeling anxious, eat a whole tray of brownies, and that's the solution that you found in that moment. So it's mm -hmm. about finding another solution to help yourself with those anxious feelings. Yes, focus on diversifying your coping strategies, not 
just um, telling yourself off about them and saying no brownies ever. How about we find five other things that do the job that brownies do and we practice doing them as well throughout the week, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking, right, how am I going to ban brownies and not have them in my site? Because they're the problem. They're not the problem. They're the solution. Okay. That's such, that's such a yeah, different way of thinking about it that um, makes so much sense, but totally changes the, the whole way of thinking about it that's really useful can you tell us a bit about your latest book the last diet what is that about sure the last diet is much like the kindness method in that it hands over tools so you can do written exercises by yourself and try and gain some insight except this one's specifically about eating habits and much more personal because in the in the first book i I do talk about my personal experience, but I largely draw from my work in addiction treatment. In the second book, it's, um, I talk about my upbringing and I developed this all or nothing dieting mentality around food and very mean, very unfair and unkind dialogue about myself and my body and a real association between self-worth and my weight. Um, and how I came to unlearn so many of these things um, through the exercises, again, that I learned through addiction and through the inspiration that I gained through addiction treatment. And also by the time the second book came out, it was also informed by the feedback I'd had from the first book, of course, and the things that really resonated with people, especially when it came to changing their eating habits. And so the second one really is about that. It's about saying no more diets, essentially, but yes to guidelines, if you find that easier. And a lot of us, who are used to being on diets from a young age for a range of different reasons, never find a way of eating, like a go-to way of eating that helps us manage our weight. Um, You know, the word diet gets a bad rap, but frankly, we're all on a diet. It's just that some of them are designed to help you lose weight, but we're all eating, you know? So I think a lot of people think it would be helpful to sit down and really plan how they like to eat on purpose. Um, And my main focus in the book is making sure that the way that people go about weight management is realistic and so it's almost like you start practicing what you're going to do to keep off weight immediately (laughs) as opposed to focus on weight loss because I know a lot of people who I um who I speak to are so focused on weight loss and for me it wasn't actually until I took the focus of the weight loss process and put the the focus on managing my weight long term in a way that made me feel strong and positive and calm that actually any unwanted weight kind of naturally came off itself. So can you, can you explain what, you, what the distinction between that is, between the, the sort of intention of weight loss and the intention of, is it something that's more long-term rather than like a quick fix type of thing? Yeah, it's realistic. It has your whole life in mind. You know, the sorts of diets I went on earlier in my life, Chloe, like before you and I met were things like, Oh, just, in fact, I don't even want to say them because it's irresponsible, but the lengths I went to, the things I did to try and lose weight, it would be impossible for a human, for a human to carry on doing those things and also work and socialize um, and enjoy their lives and feel empowered around food and actually enjoy food. Um, And that's no way to live, I think. So I think a lot of the time we're so used to this like quick fix, fast results, going on holiday, getting married kind of view of weight loss. Bear in mind also, Chloe, that my, um, my unwanted weight gain was due largely to binge eating, restricting and abusing myself with food. It wasn't like too much of a yummy thing in my case. How, how often do you think it is to do with that in terms of binging and versus too much of a yummy thing? 
is it that it's different for everyone or is that a common thing that you see in, in people that you work with and speak people that you've spoken with? You know what? I have to admit, I need to get better at remembering that the people I speak to already have a very specific problem with this very specific thing. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll do some press or an article or something and I'll see the feedback and it's like people just don't. There are so many people out there who don't struggle with these habits in this way and never have and just don't understand it. Um, I'm largely speaking to, to people who, for whom my story has resonated with, and my story has been about abusing myself with food, not understanding my, why I have an abusive relationship with food, and then not liking the byproduct of that abuse, which happens to be unwanted weight. So that particular formula is one that most of the people I speak to completely relate to. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite exercises from The Last Diet is My Body Can. Can you share a bit about what that is and why it's helpful? Absolutely. I think that there are times when we're trying to make changes, whether it's trying to deal with a craving in a way that we're happy with or trying to do anything difficult where we forget how capable we are. And in that moment, a lot of us have grown used to putting ourselves down and remembering all the things we can't do and all the things we haven't managed to do. I think it's um, really, really helpful to write down in one place all the incredible things that your body is capable of doing and that you're grateful that it can do, the qualities it has, all the capacities it has and all the resources you have at your disposal to kind of remind you of what you're capable of. So in those moments when you're tested and you start thinking, I can't do this or I can't do that or I just don't have the kind of body that da, 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 you can actually look at a piece of paper or something on your phone or whatever and my body can exercise that reminds you that actually you're enormously capable. And I think very often that can be a very powerful tool when we want to push through a craving or an urge and treat it as an alert from our bodies as opposed to a command that we need to follow. Yeah, because I guess we're so focused in our society on the way we look and we lose that appreciation for the things that our bodies can do and the amazing things that our bodies are doing, you know, day and night to keep us alive and that Mm -hmm. we're able to experience through our bodies and just having that appreciation for ourselves in that way, I think is such a, you know, refreshing and positive and empowering way of, of thinking about it. Thank you. I think a lot of people um, had the experience I've had in that with the all or nothing thinking around food also came in all or nothing thinking around self-care and self-kindness. And so I was always like, you know, I'll blow dry my hair properly when I've lost weight and I'll wear this kind of Thing and I'll make an effort with my nails or I'll, or I'll uh, wear jewelry that I really like, or, you know, I'll stretch or all these other things that have to do with the health of my body and my spine and my bones and all these things. I just thought, okay, when I'm a certain size, then I'll be the sort of person who cares about that stuff as well. Now I know, thank goodness, a lot of people don't think the way I do, or rather I did, but I think the my body can exercise could help if you do as well if you're inclined to think that way and to forget that so many parts of your body and so many elements of your worthy and in need of care and comfort regardless of what you weigh yeah totally totally really hope people will will give that a try um, and put that into practice can we talk about the link between anxiety and food there's that famous meme of um food being the most prevalent anti-anxiety medication or something <laughs> I don't know if it's quite yeah. that but something along those lines and I know for me certainly as a teenager in my early 20s you know I definitely used foods carbohydrates in particular to try and make myself feel 
calmer and more grounded and more comforted. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what would you say the link is there for, for people? I think it does help in the short term. It can help a lot of people. I think for a lot of people, comfort eating to soothe um, anxiety or stress, for example, is a completely harmless comfort that they will never have a problem with. Um, and it's totally fine. It's in their toolkit along with meditation and lots of other things. And when you take the judgment out of the tools in your toolkit, it's just one of their coping strategies. And that's fine. And it's great. And it's a joy. For other people, the anxiety that it brings about afterwards, having eaten whatever they've eaten or eaten in the way that they've eaten or the impact it has on their body, because like me, perhaps they were used to binge eating in response to anxiety as opposed to simply comforting to a point where they came away from the eating experience still feeling good or still feeling relieved or better or changed. Yeah, that's a different, that's a different story. In my case, I certainly noticed that at times when I was anxious, I would reach for food more often. It had a numbing, grounding effect on me. And sometimes it made me feel so debilitated, actually, in a way now that I think about it, that it meant that I didn't actually have to action stuff for a little bit because I felt sick or I felt heavy or, you know, it actually let me tap out of life for a little bit. Um, and that's how, how it helped me enormously. But of course, because of the way, the way I did it, left my body feeling it's, you know, I wasn't eating apples, Chloe. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think the fact that it left my body feeling gross and I'd have like acid reflux throughout the night and I wouldn't do any exercise and then I'd wake up and not drink enough water. And it was just like a spiral. Um, and so in the end, on balance, it didn't turn out being um, an effective long-term coping strategy for me at all. Whereas for a lot of people, I know it is, you know, well, long-term, no, it doesn't actually, you know, but in the short term at the very least, yes, yeah, yeah. the effect. And my thinking is that, as I say, we all have these coping skills and tools on rotation. And when we take the judgment out of them, we're reaching for the ones that are effective and accessible at at the time. And I think when it comes to the short term, at least, food is both of those things. So it's understandable that it would be one of the comforts that people are turning to most most frequently. And there isn't as much stigma around it as as there is um, with some of the other substances that people turn to when they're feeling anxious. (laughs) Was it, were we having a conversation about this recently about don't turn it into a problem if it's not a problem for you? Like if you do comfort eat, don't then beat yourself up about it and turn it into a problem because actually it might not even be a problem. You're going to explain that better, but do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. I think that we are, we need to be on high alert for the world telling us that we need fixing Mm -hmm. and that there's something wrong with us we didn't even know was wrong with us. (laughs) <laughs> don't get me wrong it's 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 good to be aware of health advice it's good to be aware but sometimes people will say like we'll get really panicked about something like oh apparently milk is just doing this and milk is making me this and it's that and it's like dude if you like milk drink your milk enjoy your milk don't let one program you watch make you hate yourself about you know and I think um and we can learn from there but I you know and we're all we're all changing I'm learning constantly and changing my habits constantly as I learn more But I think a lot of the time people will think that something should be a problem for them, but it's actually not. It's actually not. They're they're absolutely fine with it. I've met a lot of people who are like, yeah, I comfort eat and that's, I'm fine with it. It's delicious and it's fine. Even, and by the way, the byproduct can also be gained weight, but that doesn't mean that they're unfit. It doesn't mean they're not happy. It doesn't mean they're not beautiful. So it's like, it isn't a problem for them. It just so happened that the weight I was gaining was as a result of treating myself really bad, not having too much delicious stuff. 
I was barely tasting food the way I was using it. Yeah, that's such an interesting distinction. And just go back to what you said a moment ago about using food to numb and using food almost feeling so full that then you wouldn't have to go and uh, do do things out in the world or live your life normally I suppose you might hide away or I don't know I'm just thinking about myself actually when I would eat massive bowls of pasta as a teenager and just feel really full and sick and just not and then just stay in my room and not go and talk to anyone and almost it's a way of kind of keeping us safe in a way I've been thinking a lot about this I've been doing a lot of um NLP with clients and a lot of it's about working on what is the hidden benefit behind what you're doing the you know if I if I keep myself safe by not not going out and not um living my life to the full um there's that hidden benefit of then I won't risk getting rejected or I won't risk making a mistake or that sort of thing and so it's interesting to kind of think of it in that way as well you know what's the what are those other benefits it gives us compassion, Chloe. It, it makes us actually think, aha, that's why I'm doing it. I hear so many people thinking they're weak or they're greedy or they're this or they're that. And it's like, no, look, there's a legitimate reason for you. There's a driver there. There's a reason you continue to do something, the byproduct of which you're not necessarily happy with. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my next question for you was sort of around getting away from good and bad foods. And I suppose this kind of plays into it where, you know, don't make milk a bad food. If for you, it's fine. You're not allergic to it. So don't, you know, put that pressure on yourself. What would you say about this, this kind of, these kind of things? I think a lot of the time, the good and bad food thing comes as a result of, well, the people I speak to about it are people who are used to depriving themselves with the bad foods when they're being good, you know? And then once they get their hands on the bad foods or they feel like chink in their armor, then they just have all the, all the bad foods I can get their hands on until it's time for good foods again. And that has usually come as a result of some sort of experience of deprivation or some idea that's got in there that, that says at some point, I'm not going to be able to eat this food again or get my hands on this. So I'm going to eat as much of it as I can now because it's a bad food. Um, from my experience, that's obviously mainly from diets, restrictive diet. Um, in other people's experiences, um, in our conversations, it's become clear that some of that comes from when they were younger, where for various range of reasons, there were certain foods that were, un- that were limited or not available to them. And so this idea that some foods are bad, uh, naughty, you know, and once you get your hands on them, who knows what will happen, is one that I know... Um, bothers a lot of my clients and the people who I speak to because as a result they haven't learned to to genuinely enjoy those types of foods in moderate quantities they've only ever associated them with being you know falling off the wagon and then eating eating the wagon (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah the 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 good and bad thing and I think a lot of the time people say things like I'm bad I'm being bad today I'm being naughty. Oh, I'm so naughty. I've had a dessert. Yeah, sometimes it's like, dude, you are going to be allowed to have desserts for the rest of your life unless something very strange happens. We're going to have access to desserts forever. So enjoy it and leave it while you're still enjoying it, I'd say, (laughs) because I'm so used to leaving a good thing when um, when I'm not enjoying it anymore, frankly, that I've learned the value in leaving something on a high. I think just generally having any kind of binaries of good or bad or all or nothing or you know black or white you know these binaries that we 
impose on things in the physical world which don't actually exist um it's a made-up thing basically good and bad foods and let's not like even go there no plus there are so many foods now this is the other thing too how for how much longer are we going to be putting all these new types of food into good and bad and by the way good and bad according to what plan you're following that's the other problem a lot of my clients have and a lot of the a big reason i wrote the the last diet as well is because when we um put common sense advice to one side and we know what common sense advice is we all do the formulas etc and if we don't i mean you literally google it and you'll find out in two minutes everything else all these diets through the years and plans even if they weren't weight loss specific even if they were to do with i don't know your levels of whatever they've identified what's on track and off track and good and bad and what you can combine with each other and what's going to have what effect on you and it's just overwhelming and i think a lot of people like me found themselves in a place where they were like everything is conflicting and contradictory at this stage everything in some context is bad i got to the stage where i thought bananas were bad but whipped cream was good <laughs> and not just bad in that you know what i mean like yeah. bananas the forbidden food and yeah. but, but it's okay i could eat three canisters of whipped cream because of the type of plan i was technically on so i think this good and bad stuff not only is it um yeah it's just pointless Whipped cream in a can, though. Delicious. They call it, where do they call it? Sexy cream. Do they call it sexy cream everywhere? Or, or is it just... <laughs> in India. <laughs> in India, we were on holiday and they just called it sexy cream. Oh, my God. Squirty cream. Yeah. <laughs> it's sexy cream. Have your dessert with sexy cream. I don't know if that's a thing in it Goa. Is sexy or... <laughs> it's the sexiest form that cream comes in. Anyway. Basically. Basically. Can we, can we talk a bit about mental health then more generally? And I'm, I'd love to know from you, what, what do you do to take care of your own mental health? How do you, what do you do in terms of self-care? Have you found yourself, you know, struggling with things like anxiety yourself in the past? I, yeah, in the past, certainly. Anxiety used to be a really, really a big problem for me. Daily anxiety, you know, up all night, palpitations, writing letters of apology to pretty much everyone I've met um, for just existing, you know, second guessing every single thing I did, being entire, you know, having people's opinions or criticism really debilitate me. So I've put lots of things in place over the years that have helped me manage that better. And I'm glad to say that for now, it's been quite a while. The interesting thing with anxiety I've noticed, or certainly my experience of it is, I don't realize how long it's been away for until it comes back. <laughs> mm, yeah. But no, I've actually been doing okay. Cause I think a lot of the things that I have to be anxious about things I got used to years ago because of my work. So like not being sure what's going to happen with money, for example, that's something I got used to becoming self-employed five, six years ago, whenever it was, or you know, having to get creative with the way that I reach people. You and I have been speaking for a while about how I've been wanting to kind of get things online, et cetera. So then none of them are sort of newer anxieties or working in isolation, et cetera. These are all things that would have used to bother me, but now I've found things that help me deal with it better. So one of them is definitely tech-free mornings and evenings. Actually, I keep saying tech-free. It's not tech-free. It's using my well-being phone that's got just an alarm clock, music, meditation, stuff like that on it. Just not looking at emails or social media or text messages or WhatsApp until I've had an hour or so to do everything else I want to do. And usually that's just sit in silence and do a bit of writing or have a coffee or a smoothie. So you actually have a separate phone that you use in the morning <laughs> yeah. and your phone I with Instagram that. and emails on is somewhere else. 
yeah i'd like to add by the way that i don't just go around buying phones this is the phone that i upgraded <laughs> i'm not like today i'm gonna need me another you know 600 quid device or whatever these ridiculous things are i i got an upgrade and i realized you know what in the real world i actually do need some sort of device or else i'm gonna end up you know you end up getting an alarm clock and a radio and all these things and eventually you're like come on one phone could do that so I'm just using my old phone. It doesn't have, it just has like couch to 5k, this YouTube links to like stretches and yoga and things I like doing in the morning, depending on how much time I have, like a five minute meditation or a 20 minute meditation, um, one for anxiety, whatever it is. It's just my sort of go-to place for wellness at the click of a finger, at the click of a button. <laughs> Such a good um, idea. Such a good idea. And so I keep, thank you. And so I keep my normal phone that people contact me through and you know my non-burner phone or whatever it is I keep that in the living room and I turn it off actually I turn it off at about nine usually now I just turn it off and then I don't turn it on again until the next morning um, when I'm ready and that helps me more than I can tell you I also don't spend much time on Instagram and actually I learned from you about Instagram I post what I'm going to post and then I leave it mm-hmm. I've definitely um I could see this new career of mine sending me down the wrong path with my anxiety there's so much new fodder from the reviews to the external validation to people who don't like you you know all these things that are like your worst fear yeah yeah <laughs> when you do other jobs are like part of your daily life <laughs> i also have a stammer um which right now is okay because i think you you know i'm quite comfortable with you but actually over the past few days has been really difficult and other people have noticed it people who've never noticed it before are like wow i'm really struggling to get words out so again public speaking etc all of these things have have meant that i have had to ramp up my um self-care in order to be more brave i have to say and sometimes it's just little things like i'm in the flat now and i you know i live alone i work alone if i've got a boring task to do i'm gonna try and put it off but i've noticed that if i put on like proper speakers instead of music coming out of my phone and light a candle make sure there's fresh air and make sure the couch looks nice even if I'm sitting on the couch it really does make a difference to me Mm. um and all those little things I guess just remind me that my experience of the day matters yeah and so I do do yeah I do a lot I meditate I do some breath work on the weekends um I listen yeah I listen to my hypnotherapy recording nice nice um can we talk a little about about um because I saw you post yesterday I think it was and I was laughing out loud at your Instagram stories which I frequently do guys you need to follow Sheree on Instagram just (laughs) just for Instagram stories because it's you're extremely funny have to say um but you were talking about a a kind of a negative review that you'd received but you'd actually reframed it in quite an interesting (laughs) way can you share that you're making it sound like I was profound basically I just somebody said something that was mean but so funny that funny was my takeaway from it and I've decided that it's my kind of funny tease your friends kind of insult that I would give that I would give other people to be honest with you Chloe I don't know how I don't want people to think that we're like because of the stuff that we do we're superhumans or whatever like obviously if I got a load of bad reviews I wouldn't love it but first of all I did know that they were part and parcel of, of the process and I'm not saying that that means I should have been prepared, but I was aware. And so I did kind of preempt how I was going to deal with it. And in the beginning, bad reviews and criticism really did bother me. In fact, I remember doing this little emoji chart for myself that I kept on my phone for months and months. I took a screenshot of it and had it on my 
as my background or whatever it was um <laughs> it was like 500 thumbs up emojis and then like three angry face emojis and I was trying to remind myself like Sheru you're not looking at any of the thumbs ups and you're just spending all your time on the angry face emojis and there's mm. only like those are taking up barely any space like the overriding message here is that you're doing well and little exercises like that actually found really really helpful but yeah the one I read yesterday said that my audiobook was a waste of digital <laughs> sorry digital space which I find really funny because I feel like I don't know, I just, I sometimes find insults quite funny. And I find that one funny because there's unlimited digital space. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I find that funny as well. Kind of, I was just my kind of mean, yeah. I just find it quite funny. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm in a luxurious position where I can laugh about it because the vast majority are good and I've got on board with all the tools that help me remember that. So I think it's really important to, to, to laugh at things if you can, or sometimes I even celebrate getting trolled or celebrate getting bad reviews because actually it's a sign that you've reached a certain point where enough people are aware of you that some people are going to get pissed off by what you're doing that's an interesting one because I try and reframe it so the, the thing that has helped me enormously close thinking to myself right one day I want to be the sort of person who takes criticism really well or one day I want to be the sort of person who can read something upsetting and then function professionally for the rest of the day and not and not let it impact my output and then I think to myself well the only way I'm going to become that person is finding opportunities to demonstrate that I can engage in the behaviors that that sort of person engages in and the responses etc so what I've tried to do is when when I see that I've had um when someone hasn't liked something that I've done I try where possible to reframe it as an opportunity to practice responding differently and remember that it's actually the only way I'm, I'm going to get good at it <laughs> so mm. I found that quite helpful too yeah totally that's a really good thing for me to remember I think I like reading how other people people that I admire respond to criticism or trolls or I'm thinking of particularly my mentor Nisha Moogley who just has this amazing way of completely staying in integrity when she's replying to people who are just being unreasonable in my opinion or being mean or calling her I don't know what but she has this way of just completely remaining in her heart and being kind but also standing up for herself and also holding her own and so sometimes I like to just yeah remind myself of how other people deal with things and really try and emulate that almost like having a role model for how you can respond to getting trolled you know what also helps go on the best book you've ever read go on the Amazon reviews and you'll see someone who doesn't like it yeah I've found that really helpful People will be like on Plato's Republic, like, this is crap. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, oh, really? (laughs) Or like, this is so outdated. And you're like, I see, okay, one star. (laughs) Um, Or like Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. You know, that's probably, I think, one of the best books I've ever read. And I remember seeing a review for it that was bad. And I was like, oh, no, I wildly disagree with you. But, you know. It's okay. Remembering that just because, I don't know about you, um, actually, I think Brave New Girl may have had, if I remember correctly, but I'm so used to, or I got so used to assuming that when there was a problem brought to me, that it was my fault, that I'd done something wrong, that I needed Mm. to fix, and didn't spend a second thinking, hold on, before I decide to take this on myself, do I want to sit and think about this reasonably before I start apologizing to myself and adapting what I do? Do I even want to give some thoughts to whether I agree with this person? Uh, why doesn't my opinion of myself come into, into the mix? 
And um, that was a real revelation for me. I know other people who are like, how did you have to learn that? <laughs> but in my case, I really did have to learn that. Like if, if I wanted some opinions on something I was doing and say I wanted four opinions, I didn't realize that that meant three people plus me, my opinion on what's going on. Mm. Um, that was a real learning curve for me actually and has, and has helped enormously with the criticism thing too. Because sometimes I agree, you know, sometimes a person will say something like this, this would have been better if she'd done this. And I'll think, huh, you're smart. I, w- I will next time. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it's, it, it can be really helpful if you can gain something from that criticism and use it to help you to get better. And then there are other times where people just say things and it's very <laughs> clear that you can disregard, disregard the waste of digital space. <laughs> like, yeah, well, I'll just try and create more digital space, Claire. You want to Just to me? piss them off. <laughs> Piss them off, I'm going to say, just that little bit of extra digital space for my audio book. <laughs> it's funny, right? Like, I'm not, it is fun. It's just, I don't know, I just find it a really funny insult. There's just so much digital space. I quite often ask people if there's anything that you're struggling with at the moment, and if I so, how are you mom. overcoming it? I miss my mum. Mm. I really miss my mum. The way I'm overcoming it, to be honest with you, is I speak to her so often throughout the day that by the time it's like 8 p.m., frankly, I need a break. Yeah. <laughs> I miss a less in the evening, I have to say. Um, I miss, yeah, I miss my mum. I feel like it's bothering me that my parents, are, you know, are vulnerable right now. That's it. That's, that's my overriding thing that's kind of on my mind. It isn't really about me. I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. I'm doing what I need to do. I do my volunteering. It, it gives me perspective. All of that stuff. My meditating, my exercising. It's my parents who I kind of, um, I know how important it, are, it was for their mental health to be outside and to see their friends yeah. and connect with people. So I'm just, and also in the same breath, you know, I'm trying to remain in every possible way filled with gratitude, filled with gratitude and trying to, pass that on in every conversation I have and it's 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 difficult isn't it to balance it at the same time as saying gosh I really acknowledge how much extraordinary pressure people are under and also let's count our blessings at the same time it's it's a difficult one to manage I think yeah I'm, I'm hearing that a lot from people about you know trying to use gratitude as much as possible to stay positive in what is a really challenging time and And not a lot of people even saying that this situation is almost causing them to feel more grateful because I mean, maybe we, if we feel like we've we've lost something or we might lose something, it makes us more grateful of the things we have. I don't know if that even works that way, but I think it seems, it seems like a lot of people are saying they're feeling very grateful at the moment or trying to focus on that as a way of, of, of dealing with this situation. Yeah. I think it's for me, certainly it's comparatively, you know, there are some people who I'm speaking to more in a voluntary capacity arguably than like a private client capacity but who you know whether they're working in healthcare whether um the the cut in their income is impacting them already in a in a very obvious way you know these are things that I can't say are um impacting my family in the same way and and so when I get upset about you know our mental health and things like my parents feeling you know like like they miss their loved ones and things like that that's when I always try and remember, you know, if that's the worst you're dealing with right now, then you're incredibly, incredibly lucky. Um, and that does, yeah, makes me feel calmer and gives me more energy to reach out to others, actually, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can, can we talk a little bit more about, because I, I know that doing some kind of volunteering 
can be really beneficial for our mental health, helping others, connecting our, ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, having a sense of perspective, I think could be helpful. Do you, do you think that, that volunteering can be good for mental health and how, how has it helped you? I think it depends. I think it depends on how you're feeling about your mental health at the time and picking an area to volunteer in that you may or may not find triggering. I think these are all things to, um, you know, to check in with yourself about if, before you do it. But I think it's enormous. I find it enormously, I find it enormously important for me to do things without expecting anything in return. And that feeling I get when I have done that and not needing any kind of acknowledgement, it almost feels selfish. It's so grounding and calming and reminding me of why we're all about why we're all here anyway and you know all of that kind of insight that it gives me and the perspective my goodness volunteering helps me zoom out so much and you know what it also reminds me that ultimately I want to work with people and I think that's it feels like I forget that sometimes because working with people can be you know working with it's scarier there are more risks you know than if you were Mm -hmm. working with spreadsheets and things like that (laughs) um but it's when I volunteer it's when I speak to people who are truly in need um that I realize that I'm on the right track for working with humans Mm, that's so nice thank you Sharu for everything that you shared today I really enjoy our chats always and I'm glad to get to share more of your your insights and your wisdom today can you tell everyone listening where they can find out more about you and what you're up to what sort of things you offer and that sort of thing sure uh you can find out about me by putting sharu into the internet because it's a strange old name and it's very easy to find me so i'm on instagram linkedin uh twitter i've got a website i've got a newsletter you can sign up to if you go on my website which is like a monthly newsletter where i look at all the questions and requests that i've got in that month and i draw a theme out and provide a video and an article um around that theme and I also give out a free exercise every month so that comes out at the end of the month and what else do I do I do all sorts of talks workshops sessions all of those things but it's all on my website and everything I do goes on Instagram basically yes definitely check out Sheree's Instagram and in just in terms of your one-on-one sessions what sort of issues do you help people with people are thinking about working with you what sort of things do you help them with for the most part unless people specifically want a package, I tend to see people once for an intensive session, which is just under two hours, where we establish why they feel they're not able to make changes by themselves. And I help them to formalize a proper action plan that they go away and implement themselves. And so it's all in the spirit of me handing things over to people as opposed to people becoming, feeling that they need me in any way. And so really that's, that's what it is. It's certainly not a traditional talking therapy. I'm not a counselor. It's essentially saying if I've, I've written these books and I've read these books and I've done this training and I've had all this personal experience and I've put it all together. And now I have this almost huge bank of resources of different exercises and approaches. And so when I meet people one, one to one through the, um, through the questions I ask them, usually through things like motivational interviewing approaches like that asset based Um, working I draw out the self-knowledge that they need to create a plan that's truly bespoke and therefore a plan that really doesn't need me to be part of it anymore and I send it to them within a couple of days it's like a your own little personalized section of a self-help book sounds good sounds amazing cool thank you so much love thank you Chloe it's been a pleasure lovely to chat and I'll chat to you soon for sure You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Bretheridge. 
Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.